Welcome to the podcast of Westminster Presbyterian Church in Greenwood, Mississippi. We are a community of Christians that exists to make disciples of Jesus Christ and influence the Delta for the glory of God. More information about Westminster can be found at www.wpcgreenwood.org. Those who are going to Little Worship can be dismissed at this time. And if you're staying in here with us, I invite you to open your Bibles to uh, Luke chapter 8. It's also there in your bulletin. Uh, you can follow along there as well. Luke chapter 8. Go ahead and get this. Uh, you know, so last week, uh, and by the way, for anybody who is visiting with us or this is your first time here in a while, we've been going through the Gospel of Luke, uh, week in and week out. And so we've, we've worked our way up to Luke chapter 8. Last week was that famous parable called the parable of the sower. Uh, and we said that it is not only the first major parable in the book of Luke, uh, but that was also possibly the, the parable of all parables because that is the location or that's the parable that Jesus used to explain why he, he taught in parables. Um, and so that was last week, parable of the sower. And, and so we found last week that, that not everyone who hears the word uh, receives it by faith. But when God's word is received by faith, it, it's very much like fertilizer to the soil and it, it or soul. It, it causes change, right? It causes growth to happen in an individual believer's life. And so that we're not left wondering this morning, Jesus is continuing on that theme, but he, he attaches that parable to a smaller parable here in his teaching in Luke. He gives us a very simple, very clear picture of what a listener of his word looks like. And so, uh, spoiler, we haven't even read this, the passage yet, but, but this is what today's entire sermon is about. This is, this is the point. Jesus said... His followers are those who hear the word of God and, and what? Write a theology textbook? Um, no. You, you hear his word and homeschool? No. No. You, you hear his word and you put crosses up throughout town? No. Jesus said his followers are those who hear the word of God and do it. Just period. And it's so simple. It sounds so simple, right? <laughs> the problem is we don't live in a vacuum in this fallen world. And so we have the world, the flesh, the devil. Our sin is constantly challenging us in this. And so before we even begin, here's just a few questions to be thinking about. What has been the result of all of your Bible reading? You know, all of your prayer, all of your coming to worship. What is, what's been the result of that? Um, have you ever started doing something simply because of Jesus's love for you? Have you ever stopped doing something simply because of Jesus's love for you? I mean, what does your life, your practical everyday life say about your soul? Well, before we get too far, let's uh, take an opportunity to hear God's word, uh, and then we'll dive in as Jesus talking about what a soul, what, what a follower looks like. Luke 8, 16 through 21, this is God's word. Jesus said, no one after lighting a lamp covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed, but puts it out on a stand so that all those who enter may see the light. For nothing is, is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. 
Take care then how you hear. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he thinks that he has will be taken away. Verse 19. Then Jesus' mother and his brothers came to him, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. And Jesus was told, your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But Jesus answered them, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. It's God's word. So what is it, or sorry, what does doing God's word mean? You know, to be a hearer and a doer, what does doing God's word mean? And of course, we could spend years, years of sermons unpacking this, right? But in our passage this morning, we see it means at least two things. Uh, first, it means being light. And then second, it means being a child. You know, you are light and you are a child. So first, um, light. You know, it's, it's interesting, at least it is to me, that Jesus never called us to be Christians. Jesus never called us to be a good Christian boy, good Christian girl. Uh, he never used those words, but rather, Jesus called us to follow him by being light. You know, to be a city on a hill, to, to, to shine as lights in the world. And, and, you know, all these things we find in the New Testament was really hardly a new idea to the New Testament. Because really from the beginning, literally from the beginning of creation, God has placed a calling and, and a purpose in his people, you know, to cultivate and to, to preserve and to spread the light of his presence. Throughout Isaiah, and we see as, as Tyler read this morning, but it happens multiple times throughout Isaiah, God, we find that God called his people to be light among the nations, that you're, you're doing something even in the world around you. And this was so woven into the Hebrew culture that once a year they were vividly reminded of this concept of light uh, in this national holiday called the Feast of Tabernacles. And I think we've said this, this was definitely every little Hebrew kid's favorite time of the year because it was a week-long adventure where everyone moved out of their homes, even mama, even mama came outside and uh, went camping. And they slept in tents or, quote, tabernacles that they assembled and usually on the top of their homes. And for a week, they as a family slept under the stars and they ate special kind of weird food. Uh, and it was, it was fun, but it was also done many ways like what we're about to do this morning. All, everything that we do has a purpose, right? It's re reminding us of a reality. Um, it was to remind them of God freeing Israel from slavery in Egypt, right? And it was to remember that Israel, while they were in the wilderness for 40 years, they slept, well, they slept outside and they slept in mostly tents and they ate some special food, you know, manna. And the Shekinah glory cloud of God protected them in the day. And then that same cloud that protected them from the harsh heat during the day, at night it became a pillar of fire to keep them warm, to keep them safe, to, to light the way. And so every year during the Feast of Tabernacles, the highlight of the whole thing is kind of like, I guess, the Christmas parade or the Fourth of July thing. We do the big fireworks celebration here in town. Uh, the, the highlight of the, tab, the Feast of Tabernacles was um, 16 giant torches being lit in the temple to symbolize God's presence. And in each of these 16 torches, one torch was a huge bowl that scholars said they put about 17 gallons of oil in it. So you can imagine how much just light and heat is coming off this huge bowl of oil. And uh, it was there to symbolize 
God's presence. And it, it gave off so much light that eyewitnesses claimed that there wasn't a courtyard in the whole city that wasn't lit. That it was, it was literally, quite literally, a city shining on a hill. All of Jerusalem glowed. But remember, as the festival was coming to an end and the torches, they burned down, they were burning out, and all of Jerusalem went dark again, in the Gospel of John, we find that Jesus, we don't know, but I like to think of it this way, possibly, with the wick still smoldering behind him, and all is dark, he said to his disciples, I am the light of the world. In other words, he's saying, you, you, you don't need this festival. Everything that we're celebrating in this thing with light, that's all pointing to me. I am the light of the world. Okay, so that's, that's the biblical background of just some of the imagery that Jesus is using here. But, so now let's dive in. I don't know about y'all, but I remember hearing this passage as a child, and just very literal reading, you know. And as a child, I remember thinking, maybe faith like a child, like, what an idiot, Right? Because I, did, I didn't know much, but I knew that if you put a candle or an oil-burning lamp uh, under a basket, or in our passage, you put it under a bed, like, like, like not only are you not going to have light, but you're in danger in your whole family. I mean, you are 100% going to burn your house down, right? And so for me, and this is like I'm a child of the, I, grew, I guess, child of the 80s. And so if you're a child of the 80s, it's like quicksand, shark attacks, and open flames, like all that. It's like danger, Will Robinson. Do not, do not proceed. Um, and now, though it is dangerous, I guess we could go that direction. It is dangerous for our souls and the souls of our children, those around us, to hide what God has created us and redeemed us to show, right? To just lock it up. You know, you put that under things, things get hurt. But that's not quite Jesus's point. So since what Jesus is describing, it, it, like, it sounds dumb, like, it sounds insane to, in the year 2022, we need a little, just a little cultural interpretation. So think of it this way. <laughs> you know, uh, when you have someone to come over, someone's coming to your house, you're having guests over, there are some things that you want them to see, right? Some things in your home that you're proud of. You, you kind of display so that you want them to see it. So Jude, when he has... Um, a friend over, it's like with the skill of a museum curator, right? He just like lays out his Nerf guns, ordered out in the Pokemon cards, and it's like all the light is perfect so that his friends can see what he has, right? Well, well there's also things that you don't want people to see, right? There's also things, maybe you don't want them to see that huge pile of laundry that just keeps growing. And, and so I, I don't know I mean, I don't, I'm not going to say everybody, but I know some people, I think we, we are some of those people that we have a, a place for that, right? We have a, a closet, a bedroom, a car, like wherever. You just grab everything you don't want people to see and just, just chunk it in there as if it's hey, nothing, nothing to see. We're good, right? It's always this clean here. Um, and, and so in the ancient Near East, they had a place for that too. Uh, in the ancient Near Eastern homes, they typically would have a, a sitting room that would have these couches, what Jesus calls a bed, and anything you didn't want out when your guests came over, anything you didn't want them to see, you just kind of stuffed under the bed, just kind of put it out of the way. That's where you put things uh, when you didn't want them to be seen. Okay. All right, so this is what Jesus is teaching is, is not just this sweet little parable 
What he's saying here is a call from God. In light of the previous passage in which Jesus said, look, oh, 25% of the field even receives the seed. Jesus is saying that there are many so-called followers of Christ who get their light out on Sunday, right? Or at the very least, an hour on Sunday. And they let it shine and you know, appear to be all about some Jesus. But then around town, on the job, you know, with certain friends, um, or in their homes, they don't, they don't want anybody seeing that. And so they hide it away where, where no one else can see it. Very much akin to the rocky or the, the tangled, the compromised soil from last week. It's, it's someone who very much loves the, the, some of the trappings of Jesus, the um, concept of peace and hope, and you know, we, we have this camaraderie as a community. They love that, but they're not living the gospel. As far as their life goes, they're just as bitter, just as unforgiving, just as graceless as they've ever been. And they've, they've taken the light of salvation, the, the fire of the gospel of grace, and, and they've hidden it away. There's nothing to see here. And so please hear me. If this is describing you, which in a room this size, it most definitely is describing some of us. Um, like This isn't a, a shame on you. And you need to do better. And you need to try harder. No, Jesus is in love. This is a call to come to the truly good way. He's saying that you're, you're, you're missing out on the good way. This is an invitation to come to Jesus and live as God created you to flourish best, for the gospel fire to shine through you. And so in love, I, I love that Like Jesus didn't have to even say this, but in love he did. In love, Jesus warns that if this is you, um, you are what would be called a cultural Christian today. Um, you, you treat your Christian life kind of like you do your seasonal decorations at your house. You know, like it's Christmas time and you want everybody to see your lights and your trees. So you get them out and you show them to everybody, right? But then for the, I mean, for the most, at least for some of us, for most of the year, those things are in the attic, right? You just kind of hide those things away. And so we treat our Christian life very similar to that. And Jesus warns that in the end, if that is you, what little light you had or what little degree of common grace, peace, and life that you had will be taken away and you're going to be left with the reality that you were never in Christ to begin with. You were never in to begin with. Because those who are in Christ shine. So if you've been saved and are experiencing the hope and the joy of the smiling face of your heavenly Father, I mean, sure, you can be down, and in fact, you will go through dark nights of the soul. But over the long haul, it's impossible to hide the fact that in Jesus, <laughs> you, I, I know, wretched, messed up you, and me, like, we are called forgiven and loved. I mean, it, it blows our mind. I, it, that, that should light and season everything that we do. It's the soundtrack of our life. Like you, can't, you can't just like bottle that up. So there's an eternal warning here um, in verse 18 that at the end, of the end of time when we're judged, we may find out that we were never in to begin with. But two, it also have a, has an earthly element of something that happens just right now in this life. And it's just this very simple principle. Jesus is saying if you follow by faith and live out the gospel of grace, then you're going to receive more grace. 
you'll receive more peace, more fruit. More fruit's going to grow in you. Um, but if you don't hear and don't respond in obedience to God's word, well, then you'll move further and further and further away. And some people, some Christians would call that backsliding. Um, some would call that apostasy, that you just keep going further and further away until it's revealed that you were never, that you were never there to begin with. So this is an, an invitation to examine our hearts. And, and this is it's really an interesting passage, at least to me, because often we hear these verses and, and apply it to evangelism. And you could say rightly so. It's the children's song, right? It's this little light of mine. I'm going to let it shine. Like we, we want to tell others that the true longing of your heart, like literally what you long for most deeply was met by Jesus Christ or is Jesus Christ. That he died to give you favor with God. And what more could you ask for? So, of course, we want to share that. But in this passage, Jesus isn't talking about preaching or evangelizing. No, no he, he brings it down to just the everyday life of the mundane and tells us that you, don't, you can be the light of Christ in this dark world simply by hearing God's word and doing God's word. And that's it. Like, you, you don't have to be a theologian. For a, a Christian to be light, in, in the words of Woody Allen, 80% of it is just showing up. Like, just, just be there. You know, just be visible. It's hearing God's word and by faith seeking to live a faithful, quiet life. It's hearing God's word and by faith seeking the welfare of the city, the place which God has placed you. You know, it's, it's hearing God's word and by faith um, refusing to slander or belittle, you know, somebody, your enemy. Um, it's hearing God's word and just being a good citizen. You know, we remember that the, the early church, really what set them apart was they were like the best citizens the Roman Empire had ever seen. They were great citizens, even though the Rome, Roman Empire hated them. And, you know, it's a well-established fact that when plagues would come through, everyone else would leave the cities and flee to the countryside, but the Christians in towns, they would stay, and they would care for their sick, and they would care for everybody's sick. Everybody who left, who left their family, they would care for them. And over time, their little light pierced and then influenced the dark world. Um, but then really, it's even more simple than that. I mean, it really is. Do you want, to, you want to be a light to the world? It's hearing God's call to repent and obeying. Like, how radical is it just to live a repentant life? It's hearing God's call to kill sin and laying aside every weight that entangles. It's, it's experiencing the forgiveness of God while we were an enemy and not hiding that fact, but going out into the world and forgiving our very real enemies. And we can say that all the day long. We can talk about it in church all the day long. But then when we go out into the world and we have an enemy who does us wrong, and we say, well, I can't forgive him. Well, okay. Remember the gospel that while you were an enemy, you were forgiven. I mean, if you, I mean talk about turning the world upside down. Just by, I mean, that's like bottom wrong Christianity. In a quid pro quo world, it's showing grace and mercy to the undeserving. It's hearing God's word about marriage and seeking to love your spouse. <laughs> you know, without doing God's word, it, everything that we're talking about, it just remains intellectual. 
And we don't know it. We don't know God's word until we have taken it from the classroom into the lab and we've actually practiced it. So as Kent Hughes asks, and I want to ask you this, has God's word impressed on you that you need to confess? Then do it. Has God's word impressed on you that you need to speak the truth in love regardless of the consequences? Then do it. Has God's word impressed on you that you need to discontinue a certain practice? Do it. Has God's word impressed on you that you and you, like you, your family, need to take a stand against this lost world in a particular area and, and say, as for me and my house, like, we will seek and serve the Lord? Then do it. And I know, they're like, people, this is legalistic. This is not legalism. This is not legalism. Like, obedience, obedience has nothing to do with being right with God. But that is not how you earn anything. No, no, like Jesus took care of all that. Like we're in. Obedience is a response to what Jesus has already done for us. And so obedience then is God's path for human flourishing. Talking about bottom rung, like obedience is like moving beyond the, okay, I'm saved from hell. <laughs> obedience then, like that's the next part of like following the Jesus way. It's the blocking and tackling of the Christian life. As John says, And by this we know that we have come to know him. That means intellect meets heart, explosion, explodes into something, if we keep his commandments. And then finally, under this point, as, we, as light, we're called to illuminate, we're called to provide you know, contrast uh, in our dark world. Bernard Nathanson was the physician who epitomized, y'all probably heard the name, he epitomized the, the pro-choice movement in America. And he claimed to have personally been responsible for over 60,000 uh, abortions uh, until one day he, the, the light of ultrasound technology revealed to him what they didn't know before they could see what was going on. And he could see, and as a result, he, he was plagued with a mountain of really condemnation and guilt like so great that, that it drove him to Christ because there was nowhere else he could go for, for his guilty conscience to be cleansed. Well, as light, Westminster, we're called to be very much like ultrasound machines, that, that we don't fall for the, the surface charades that everybody's playing, but we can see underneath the surface to what's really going on the dark underbelly of our fallen world, but not only do we reveal the sin, we also reflect the, the Savior, the, you know, the one to whom our sin can be cleansed. J.C. Ryle said, the highest form of selfishness is that of the person who is content to go to heaven alone. He says, no candle which God lights was ever meant to burn alone. So his followers at our core, we are light. Uh, we're light. But that's not all that Jesus says. Second, and as we close, as followers, at our core, we're also children. We've got to remember we're children. We're God's family. Verse 19, then his mother and his brothers came to him, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. And Jesus was told, your mother and your brothers are standing outside, desiring to see you. But Jesus answered them, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. 
All right. Um, Jesus isn't trying to dismantle the nuclear family here. Um, though, and, and we know this, there will be times in our lives in which our calling to be a faithful member of God's family will take precedent over being a faithful member of our earthly family. But that's not Jesus' point. Like, he's not saying disown, disown your mom and your brothers. Jesus is saying, he's really using this as an encouragement to receive his word. And so it's, it's as if he's saying it one more time for those in the back, just so y'all could hear me. One last time, he's saying, if we've been saved by Jesus, then God has adopted us into his family. And, and we, we didn't do anything to get in. We got in because of his outrageously gracious love for us in Jesus that brought us in. And so Phil Riken says, we're his children with all the rights and privileges that come with belonging to his household. He says, even if you have no living relatives or if your earthly families reject you, reject us, God still says, I will be a father to you and you shall be sons and daughters to me. And so we see in the gospel that we're in, like we're in the family because of him, and because we're in, we actually start taking on the family likeness. You know, as, as a child, I've probably mentioned this, as a child, like, I didn't want to be a pastor. Like, all I wanted to do was be like my dad, right? All I want to do is drive a tractor and milk cows. I mean, to a kid, like, there's nothing, there's nothing better than that. that that's, that's life. And so it's, what's wild is I'll ask the same to Jude, and, and Jude, what do you want to be when you grow up? And Jude will say something like, the other day, oh, it melted my heart. He said, Jude, he said, Daddy, I want to be a pastor like you. But then he said, he said, I want to be a pastor like you or a zookeeper, you know, <laughs> zookeeper. Either one, it's fine. Um, you know, isn't it, it's normal for kids to do that, right? Um, and... You know, children want to be like their father, especially if they have, you know, just a remotely loving father. They want to emulate their father. Well, in the same way, Jesus says, that's what it's like in God's family. That, that God's children are those who want to be like him. And they do that by hearing and doing his word. I mean, really, what a reminder, right? And, and what, a, what a reality. They say that, you know, blood is thicker than water. But in Christ, you know, we are tied to the family of God by his blood. So we have that. But also, we're tied in by the Holy Spirit, which is a bond that is thicker than water. Which means though we stumble and fall, and, and when we forget the gospel and the shame, you know, Jesus says there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And yet we go through life and we feel condemned sometimes, even if we're believers. And we forget the gospel and the shame and the condemnation creeps back in. In Jesus, we have one who is not ashamed of us. Uh, we have one who continues to pursue us, truly, truly saying, <laughs> you are not heavy. You are my brother. You, know, you are my sister. And not even hell, nor you, can snatch you from my embrace. And so, Westminster, if you are in Christ... You are the beloved. You are the beloved. You have been bestowed the title of son and daughter, and God has given you the privilege of following him by being light in the dark Mississippi Delta. So shine on.
Shalom. Let's pray. Father, may you come, uh, come into the darkness, the deep, dark crevices of our heart and just shine the light of the gospel. Lord, remind us of uh, the greater reality that though our world uh, calls us all sorts of things, uh, Lord, you call us a child. Uh, we're in your family. And Lord, give us uh, a grace-filled desire, compulsion even, to hear your word and to do it. Uh, to be like our loving father. Uh, to follow after our, our elder brother. We, we just want to be like our older brother, Jesus. So we ask that you would come and capture us in your Holy Spirit. And now as we, we come to uh, the, your table, we ask that you would take these um, common elements, that you would set them aside to be a means of grace to your people. Um, Lord, that may we receive it by faith uh, and be partakers of your grace together. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. I was watching an interview this week with the director of Dune. You know, not the old 1980s version of Dune, but the new version of Dune. Um, the, the director's name, I think I'm going to butcher his name, but it's like Denny Valenu or Val, Valenu, something like that. This is the guy's name. And uh, they were asking, like, okay, what was your inspiration as you went through this? And, and he said that he and the other kind of creative directors um, or the creative types on the project, he said, anytime we had a question, anytime we, had a, we were wondering about which, which direction we should go with this movie, uh, we just went back to the book. We went back to the source, you know, the, the novel, Dune. And so we, we just kept going back to make sure we were on the right track. We, we kept going back to see what we had to do. And you know, in many ways, that's, that's what we do as believers, right? We, we go back to God's word. We go back to the standard. Like, what do we need to do in this situation? We go back to the standard. And in the same way, that's what we do at communion. You know, we're coming back to the beginning. We're coming back to remember who we are and whose we are. Uh, if there's any questions. So as we come to the communion table this morning, uh, we are remembered, we were, are reminded of one thing, that well, we have a need, like a deep need, like such a need that... God himself had to die, that, that we're remembering that yeah, we're needy people. But at the same time, we remember that we have a hero who met that need, that Jesus shed his blood, he gave his life for you so that you could have life. So we're, we're reminded of that, we're, we're rehearsing that and celebrating that. Third thing, we're reminded that, you know what, you're not some just deadbeat orphan, that, that you actually have access to the Father, that he, he invites you to his table. That he invites you in Jesus, you have access to, to, to the Father by grace. And then fourth and finally, we're reminded that this isn't just wishful thinking. This isn't just like, you know, some religious thing that we do to feel better about ourselves. Um, but this is actually a present reality. That the Spirit is here. And just as we partake of these elements, we're reminded that yeah, as we, quote, feast on Jesus, that the Spirit is in us just as much as these things are in us continuing to shape us and form us into after Christ likeness over time as we go through this life. And so we, we remember, we celebrate, we receive, and we shine. This is not Westminster's table. This is uh, the Lord's table, which means 
if you are a believer, if, if you've confessed Jesus to be your Lord and you are a member in good standing of a gospel-preaching church, then the table's wide open for you. Uh, come and receive. Um, but if, if that does not describe you, if you are not a believer, um, glad you're here. Um, but as we just ask that as the plate is passed, you just, you just let it pass by. But we encourage you to use this time um, just to think, to ponder, uh, to think about, do you have a need? Um, and if you had a need, how do you, who, who is the savior of your need? Uh, spend this time in prayer. Um, so we ask also children, if you, if you have not made a public profession and joined the church, just, just let it pass as well. This is something that we do need to kind of know what's going on as it's passed by. Um, but for everyone else, uh, the table is, is open. Um, Jesus, on the night in which he was betrayed, he took bread. And having given thanks, he broke the bread. And Jesus said, this is my body, which is given for you. Take and eat in remembrance of me. We'll go ahead and partake of the bread as it's passed out, but let's hold the cup and we'll partake of it together.
after the same manner, we're told that Jesus took the cup and, again, having given thanks to God, he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for the forgiveness of many. Come, drink. Jesus said, this is the new covenant of my blood. Drink from it, all of you. Let's pray. Father, thank you 
uh, that you don't treat us as orphans. Uh, Lord, we don't, we don't deserve any of this. Um, Jesus didn't have to come. He didn't have to say the things he said. Um, we could just do, live our short life on this earth. Uh, but Lord, you, uh, you wanted more for us. Uh, out of your great love, you sent Jesus uh, to die so that we could live. And Lord, you didn't leave us alone. You left us reminders of sacraments, uh, signs and seals of what you have done and are doing in us uh, by your spirit. Us, Lord, may we uh, eat and drink by faith. And Lord, may you bless us and keep us. And we ask this in Christ's powerful name. Amen. Hi, Richard Owens here. I just wanted to take a second to say thank you for listening to the podcast of Westminster Presbyterian Church. Our prayer is that the Lord would use this message to encourage you in the gospel and that you would find Jesus to be more beautiful than you ever, ever imagined. If you'd like to find out more about who Jesus is or more about our church, I invite you to visit our website at wpcgreenwood.org. God bless.